welcome to episode 87 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Kyle McCutcheon. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu teaching at a kindred jiu-jitsu just north of Seattle. Kyle teaches defensive tactics to police officers. He begins this episode by talking about his experience training police officers and working as a patrol officer. Kyle's led an interesting life pursuing martial arts and serving his community. It's been eye-opening to have the opportunity to talk with people on why they seek to pursue proficiency in martial arts. Personally, it's helped me understand why I show up to every class and train. Often these questions go through my head. Is it to be the best competitor on the planet? Is it to be able to defend myself? Maybe to teach other people and be a part of a community? Or perhaps prove to myself that I am worthy. To quote Nietzsche, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. I'll play you out with a song by Less Than Jake. Called All My Best Friends Are Metalheads. I figured it was fitting. You can find out more about Kindred Jiu-Jitsu on their website. Instagram and Facebook, which I'll leave links to in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, wherever you happen to listen to this. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy. I am a uh, deputy with the King County Sheriff's Office for my full-time from my full-time job, the one that pays the bills. Uh, currently assigned to our, our training unit there, and uh, mainly I uh, it's kind of my job is 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 training is training cops, and uh, you know it's it's a a tough job actually. It's a little known that it's it's actually a pretty hard job uh, getting training out to police officers. But uh, my main focus is is what in the law enforcement community we call like defensive tactics or control tactics. And so uh, you know I, I I'm lifelong martial artist, uh, longtime jujitsu practitioner, and and basically trying to take what I know from that art and introduce it into uh, you know our our law enforcement agency and um you know i i believe in it as as the the supreme art for for law enforcement and and you know that that's my my kind of goal is to find ways to to get that out and try and keep deputies safe and and then the public safe as well with it and what kind of challenges are presented when trying to transfer that knowledge and how what strategies do you use man you know it, it's tough uh it is really tough i, I don't think the general public kind of understands uh the way uh, law enforcement goes in general it, it, it you know they they i think the the common misconception is that uh, police are highly trained and i think that's actually uh not accurate i believe you know we we dapple in things like a typical law enforcement officer, you know, you go go to the basic academy, and 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 that's about as rigorous as your training's ever going to get. You're you're there, you know, going through learning all about laws and different things, and in in any kind of skill based, uh, you know, subject, you know, like defensive tactics or your firearms and stuff. Like like it, it, you're not going to get any more um, 
and any more than what you get there. The foundation is kind of built there, and then you're kind of launched out to do this career. And there, in most departments, most departments, in my experience, there, there's not a lot of of mind paid to training. Um, it, it's almost kind of like a necessary evil that's usually dictated by by like knee jerk reactions or or you know public perception, but. When you talk about like skill-based training or force training, um, you know most cops I would argue are not highly skilled. Um, they 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 have a, a minimum kind of standard that they have to keep, and most of them don't go beyond that. And so the challenge becomes trying to find ways to get kind of that that high-level training, uh, you know, divvied out at a digestible level for for you know the. A police officer that that doesn't have those skills already, you can't just jump into something, you know, and put them in the deep end um, with some of these some of these skills. And just trying to you you kind of have that on one end is just finding a way to do that. When we're working with little budgets, uh, you're talking about you know for for a department of the size of the King County Sheriff's Office, like 750 give or take commission personnel that you have to train. So how how do you get training out to the, to that large of a group uh, and with within a budget because we're talking about massive budgets but they go so quickly when you're talking about big numbers like that and how consistently can you actually train a group of that size it's so it is really challenging um, you, you talk about like you know how, how much do you train jujitsu mm-hmm. uh, like not, yeah like twice three times a week yeah yeah two three times a week right and, and we're talking about once a year yeah. How, how much? How how much do you think of, of what you know about an art like jujitsu? If I could only teach you once a year for let's say four hours, you know what could you take away from that? Oh. So when you talk about highly trained, and then you hear, you know, I think most people are shocked to hear like, well, they get four hours of defensive tactics training a year. Like, and and you know, you and I sitting across the table, we're training two, three, four, five, six times a week. Mm-hmm. And even still, we feel like that's not enough because we meet, you know, uh, high level competitors out there that are just another level. And we go, my gosh, I can't even comprehend how you got that good. Um, so, yeah, highly trained is, is definitely uh, not accurate. Mm-hmm. And In the expense of that, I could definitely see how that would eat into a budget very quickly where with the personnel, um, they don't have much of a budget. Just like teachers, from my understanding, is the budget's pretty low for um what they're required to do and the skills that they need. It seems to be the training budget is kind of one of the first things that goes out the window. Um, you know, when, when there's any kind of, you know, staffing crisis, which, which I think many, many departments suffer from right now. So you're paying out a lot in extra overtime trying to fill holes. And, you know, the, the main, our main job is to provide service to the public. So you're talking about patrol. And so there's, there's minimums out there, you know, the, the, you've got to have a minimum number of cops working the street, so that's where a lot of the money goes to. And when you're, you know, you're short on full-time employees or FTEs, as we call it, then you're filling the gap with people on overtime, mm. which costs more money. So, you know, when you get into things like that, and, and I'm not an administrator, so I don't know all the particulars, mm-hmm. but I just know, you know, hey, we, you know, we, we were given X amount of $100,000 to complete, you know, training for the entire department. And we burned through that and then some, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it doesn't take a lot to just uh, burn through a whole bunch of money. Um, so it is definitely challenging. Uh, and then with that too, you, you get pushed back when you got, you know, a deputy that that's not used to going training anymore. And now you're telling them, Hey, you gotta go to train today. And I'd rather just go, you know, work my beat, 
go grab a cup of coffee and just do my normal routine. And now you're asking me to go to this training and, you know, then it becomes a struggle with the ego as well. When you, you're asking someone to come out and, and, and go in front of their peers and demonstrate a skill that many of them are lacking. And now you kind of have that struggle with the ego that many of them are kind of afraid to put themselves out there and, and, you know, they're afraid of looking bad, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't do this skill. So there's, there's many challenges of being a police trainer and, uh, you know, just a little insight into that. Mm-hmm. Your experience, um, if you were to generalize it from like a culture, how confident would you say the individual police officer would be in their um, defensive and offensive skills? Say that again, sorry. Um, it, if you were to generalize a little bit uh, with the culture, um, how confident would you say a police officer would feel in their offensive and defensive skills and tactics. Yeah, I, mean, I can only really speak for myself, and, and for me, you know, I had I had things without getting into it. I had things happen early in my career that were a real wake up call to me. You're just kind of seeing how fast things can get out of control. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, though, I I was already training martial arts before I started this career. Uh, I'd already you know had a couple of. MMA fights and, and, you know, had these experiences and, and already had kind of a love for, for training and, and, you know, you putting myself, uh, to that test physically and, 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 you know, get developing these, these skills of unarmed combat. Um, but I also learned early on how quickly things can devolve into, into chaos. And so for me, it was never an issue. I, I always knew I had to stay sharp. Um, just knowing, you know, it can, it can turn from, from something, menial to something deadly pretty quickly and uh i always had a respect for that um but that that i think is the exception uh i think there's many cops that that rarely experience any kind of violence so with that you know you start even even though i think most at some time or another were trained well uh into at least understanding that but over time it's kind of like well i've gotten away with this a hundred times um so it's just human nature that complacency is going to set in and I think with that, you also have this false sense of, of confidence uh, in your abilities until something happens. And then you need these skills that you don't possess. And there's no such thing in, in an instance like that of rising to the occasion. You fall back to your training or in many cases, lack of training. So you have many of these types, you know, uh, many of these incidents, you know, I'm just as critical. I'll just put that out there. I don't, I don't want to get into any particular incident or, or speak to any kind of political standing. That, that's not my objective. But I will say that there, uh, with this kind of absence of training or absence of, um, you know, a culture of training in many police departments. And like I said, you develop this, this complacency coupled with you know, this false sense of confidence in, in your abilities and skills, and then suddenly something happens and, and you need that to fall back on, you know, they're genuinely in fear for their life in these instances when danger comes calling because they get chosen. It's not like they have a choice. You're in these incidents and something happens, and, you know, if you're not trained, uh, you're going to hit that bar much sooner mm-hmm. and where, where your skills are gone. You're, you're left to a survival situation, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like uh, if if we did focus more on that skill training, like I said, and you had that skill set to fall back on, and we did de- actually develop highly skilled police officers, you would see less of these. Um, my personal belief, you know, but uh, that's that's kind of what keeps me going. Um, trying to relate on not a police officer having to do jujitsu and other athletics, but really specifically jujitsu. 
is I've learned how to manage stress in some of the most emotionally difficult moments of my life a lot better than I had before I had done jiu-jitsu or generally, though, any high-intensity athletics to begin with, like running. But um, whereas I'd look at people who, you know, were more or less sedentary and they didn't, they didn't practice any, like, martial art, for instance, or uh, didn't pursue any sport in full intensity, would have a lot more difficult time managing their emotions because I feel when you're doing these, you know, mar- the martial arts and athletics, you're simulating very, very challenging psychologically and physically uh, moments. And like what you said is you don't rise to the occasion. When something goes wrong, you, you fall to back to your training. And I've experienced that time and time and again. For instance, uh, when I would be running out in the wilderness, right, and I'm 11 miles from a trailhead and there's no one back there, and then I start shitting myself. Like, and it's, I start getting sick and the only option is, is lay down or stagger walk the 11 miles back 3000 feet back up the mountain to my car. And like I had, I've already had those scenarios where I trained myself to be able to deal with it. Whereas the first time I've ever had a, a stomach issue like that. And I was within the vicinity of my car doing training runs. I like freaked out. I had to lay down on the trail. And I took a nap, man, and it was gross because it's dirty. It's just, yeah, it was nasty. But it's like, you know, panic set in. And now I just feel like as just a person that generally has helped me throughout my life, even as a father, for instance, when my son's losing it. I mean, patience is so much more easier since I've been through the physical trials of trying to grapple with someone else or, you know, or go and compete in a kickboxing tournament or match, for instance. Yeah, I, I've I've always believed that that jujitsu goes well beyond the mat, uh, and 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 definitely life skills as well. You know, uh, wh- whether it's managing chaos or just your ability to problem solve, uh, you know, under uh, suboptimal conditions. Um, you know, you think about how many bad positions you've been in jujitsu and just had to stay calm and and figure your way out. You know, uh, and sometimes you take that L, man, you got to tap out, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, you, you learn from that experience and, and you get to repeat that. And, you know, that's why I say, uh, you know, I believe it's it's the best art uh, to relate to law enforcement because mm-hmm. there's very few ways you can safely simulate violence. Right. Mm-hmm. And really put yourself in those situations to where you're, you're not only developing your, your psychomotor skills, but you're also developing, you know, your, your mindset and your ability to stay calm, like you said, and, and control your emotions. Um, jiu-jitsu will force that on you, whether you want it or not, or, or you won't last, right? I mean, if, you're, if you've been around for any amount of time, you, you know that, you've learned that. Um, the, the ones that can't figure that out don't don't make it they don't last very long you know they they may maybe that's the type that gets their blue belt and they they disappear and they're on the you know the the highlight reel to sarah mclaughlin like the way to joke about the school of the 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 blue belts past the montage rolling through to the arms of an angel you know so uh, many many have have dropped out along the ways in this journey right and you got the the few that that are able to kind of deal with that and and figure out all of the lessons that jujitsu has to offer um that and you know you know what's jujitsu all about well it's about controlling people you know well what do cops have to do well guess what you have to control people and you learn in jujitsu that's not easy right mm-hmm. oh, yeah. i mean even you get the brand new new guy that's there for the trial class and even that guy's hard to control because it's so unpredictable right 
So, uh, you know, it translates well. And uh, like I said, it goes off the mat. And uh, that's why I'm a big believer. My, I feel like it's a big goal of mine, uh, you know, outside of even being a business owner. I, that's secondary to me. It, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a big believer in, in trying to bring jujitsu to as many lives as possible um, because I do believe uh, in it that much. Um, yeah. When you were referring to, when we were talking about how um, some police officers would have an overestimation of their ability to be able to uh, handle a, um, a physical scenario, right? That's a very human thing because in the places that, I, that I've worked, right, with like auto glass and um, hospital industry and the warehouse industry, in each of these places I'm noting a particular person. And they would tell me that, oh, yeah, I kicked that guy's ass. Like we were watching UFC and I'd look over and I'm like, wait, what? I don't think so. This guy's put so much training into learning yeah. – how to defend themselves, how to be able to control this scenario, and, and like, that, no, it doesn't really add up. But I understand because before I got into martial arts, I never grew up watching martial arts videos, uh, or movies, rather. So when I would see those things, well, it's not that hard. I mean, it only take me like six months. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like consistent training, and even after, you know, like two years, I still feel like I suck, which is yeah. great. I love it. It's a, a saying that I I, I, I I doubt I coined it. I probably heard it somewhere, so I apologize if I'm ripping you, but most people don't know enough to know that they don't know. <laughs> so that's that's something I've learned a lot about. Uh, and, and I, I think it, it's it's not, you know, not exclusive to police, but it's definitely something that happens there a lot because there is a bit of kind of, uh, you know, arrogance or, or mochismo to, to take on a career in law enforcement. There's a lot of ego involved in that. And, uh, you know, it's hard to admit you don't know, number one. And plus, I don't think they don't know. They, they really don't know. And I, I've, you know, had, uh, you know, the situation of, of introducing some of my uh, partners to, to jiu-jitsu. And, and, you know, some of them kind of come along willingly with it, with that mind of, gosh, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Mm-hmm. But there's very many more that think I'm I'm good. Like mm-hmm. I got this, and they come out there and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I I, I didn't know shit." Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I got wrecked. And and some of those will be like, "Okay, I need this." Mm-hmm. And they're they're the ones that become you know the regular student. And then there's others too. Their ego just can't take it. You mm-hmm. never see them again. Um, but yeah, I've had conversations too. You know, uh, bellied up to the bar w- with some partners and. I don't name any names, but it, it, it similar to what you're saying about the you know the 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 you know bar stool fan of the UFC or whatever the, I could take that guy. And similarly, is like ah, I know you'd I know you'd mess me up in the end, but I'd hold my own for a while. And to me, I honestly like this is not my ego speaking. This is the fact that it's like really you uh, you you've trained when never and okay maybe a handful of street fights let's just give you that let's say that and i'm training you know this around this time probably like four days a week okay and it's like okay i'm training four days a week and it's rather insulting to say that someone that never has trained is out of shape is fat has been drinking and now is telling me like i'd hold my own with you it's like that's kind of insulting you know and i kind of looked at one of our our partners that was also there he's like a you know ipsic style shooter like you know goes out chases all these competitions as as you know some kind of high wizard level i don't even know what they call them and that but uh, i was like dude that's like me saying i'm gonna go out shoot that guy and the difference being, I actually practice shooting. Like I, and I still know that I'm gonna get freaking laughed off the range with him. So, you know, 
I don't know. It, it, it's definitely something that uh, people really don't know until they get out there and, and experience it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've probably fallen in the same trap. I mean, I, I trained karate as a kid, and I think I thought I was tough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know, learned quickly that, you know, gosh, you, you're not very tough if you don't know what you're doing, especially, you know, when you're out of shape and, and everything else along with it. And stepped into a lot of things that way. So, yeah. There's a psychological phenomena, I forgot what it's called, but uh, humans tend to overestimate, and they, they believe that they're very good at guessing. Oh, yeah. And if you look at the data, it turns out it's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> I have to remind myself that a lot. But Yeah. Um, and it's a very, you know, human tendency to, to be able to do these things. I keep going back to that, too, because, like, there's, you know, philosophy that I don't know how long it's it's been around, probably has ebbed and flowed um, throughout the years, but is like the us versus them on police officers. And I mean, like the bottom line of a lot of the things from an outsider point of view is fucking people. And whatever, as an individual, from, from when you think of a police officer, you can imagine all the trappings of your own life, right? Like if you don't get off the fucking couch, for instance, or if you you you're, you think you know a lot more than you might, right? Or um, perhaps, you, you know, you do have a large ego, right? Yeah. Um, that's a human thing. And all those trappings that we succumb to, it applies to police officers. Just because they fulfill the archetype, from what you're saying, like I imagine there's probably a, a handful of archetypes of why a person wants to become a police officer. Just because you follow those archetypes doesn't mean that you're psychologically unique, Right. Um, and there's people that I've listened to, uh, like David Goggins, which is Navy mm. SEAL, ultra yeah. runner, and he talks about it in his book, Can't Hurt Me. Um, when he, when SEALs would go through BUDS training, right? BUDS training is like one of the most uh, challenging training courses that you can go through. And they're awake for days on end, right? And they have to go in like hypothermic conditions in the water. And when they get done, um, the rest... Seals usually like, oh, I'm done. I don't have to do that anymore. Life, life's chill now, right? And then they do their seal thing. It's still hard, but not. They're not like hardened and gristled. They get over it and then yeah. they're relieved. And he's like, nah, you gotta have the lifestyle because that might just because you did this and accomplished this doesn't mean you're a new human. You're still the person inside of your own head. Oh, yeah. You haven't changed, and so you have to integrate and reflect these behaviors. Forever, like if you want to be a hard person, you always got to be a hard person, and there's always going to be resistance to that, regardless of how much momentum you put behind you. Like, like you, for instance, your black belt in jujitsu. I doubt that you're done with challenges in jujitsu. Like, oh no! The only way to get around the challenges in jujitsu is either quit or stop learning new things, and it's all like. Right. I got new challenges now. Like I said, I'm on the verge of turning 40, and I got all these 20-somethings always <laughs> always gunning for me. So, uh, yeah, it's a new crop of challenges for me. So how do I stave off a whole crop of 20-somethings looking to tap, you know, the professor? So, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll never stop challenging myself. It is, it's, it's part of what keeps me going. Um, yeah, I kind of covered a lot of things there and the, the whole us versus them thing. And it's something that I battle within the community as well. I think it, that's on both sides, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really just, like you said, coming together as human beings, like it's a job. That's what some people have. I, and it's on both sides. I will say, uh, there's many cops, like many, many cops that, that understand that like, mm-hmm. probably I would say the majority, but there's some that kind of get caught up in it. And, uh, 
you know, it, it is very true. I think, uh, you know, they kind of, you know, you, you come to a, a get together or something, right. And you get introduced as, oh yeah, this is Kyle. He's a police officer. Pet peeve. I'm just gonna let you know right now. Like, don't do that unless you know you come up and, hey, this is you know, so and so. Yeah, he's a server at a restaurant. Do you do that with everybody? No, okay, because we don't like that either. And, and I think that that it just reinforces kind of that us versus them. Like, we're we're all we're all capable of making mistakes, and we all have those people in our workforces that nobody likes. Guess what? There's cops just like that. Mm -hmm. Chances are you run into an asshole cop, we probably think they're an asshole too. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it, they're everywhere, man. And is there bad apples? Yeah, for sure. There's bad apples. Um, they, they, they lie in every profession. But, uh, you know, we're, we're not without making mistakes. Have I made mistakes in my career? Absolutely. You know, and you, you do the best. You try and learn from it. You try and move on. You try and do the best job that you can. And I, I think everybody is in the profession, or at least they started that way, with the best of intentions and really just trying to help people and make a difference. Mm -hmm. And and that really is the goal. And I would say that's the overwhelming majority are still that way. Um, you know, but there there's a few out there. And I, I would say even if, if you're talking about, like, when, when I think like bad cop, and from what I know on the inside, it, it's not necessarily the crooked cop like you see in the movies. It's, it's more they're just like, man, they're just they're collecting a paycheck. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's that's the one I see is like, man, this guy doesn't work anymore. You know, mm -hmm. he shows up to work, and or she shows up to work, or whoever it may be, and they're just there to get a paycheck, and and just you know, to me that that's that's the definition. Um, you know, I I don't I, in my career I've never encountered that crooked cop. You know, mm -hmm. but. It, it exists. It's out there. It's just not been my experience. Anyway. Yeah, smaller percentage. Yeah. It's, I mean, in almost anything that I've done, right, I've, and I've been around some really seedy people growing up, but corruption is rather small. Like the percentages, maybe yeah. 1%, and I'm making that up, obviously. But mm -hmm. I mean, like in all the groups that I've gone through in workplaces, experiences, uh, you would find people who were just complacent, but to have someone who's really vile in the sense that they are hurting people for their own gain. Yeah. Like that's like the smallest of smallest groups that I find. Yeah. They exist though. Yeah. I and mean, they're out there. I mean, we get them and, and you know, they get, they eventually, you know, they usually get caught and then they're gone. And, and, you know, it just, you know, we, they're disgraced to us just like the rest of the people, if not more so, mm -hmm. you know, we see that because we're constantly fighting that stigma. Yeah. There's constantly that that shade put on us about uh, you know when when one of us messes up it makes the news no matter what you know imagine that I don't you know in your career anytime anyone messed up it's all over the news top story pressure. right the pressure on right? and anymore we we fear that your name gets put in the media for something like that you know and maybe it's even something out of good faith and and you're doing what you think is right but something ends up being a tragedy which we all think is a tragedy but now it's it's you're out there for everybody to see, you know, that, that I think is, is a bigger fear than gosh, even like getting shot these days. You know, really? wow. I, for me personally speaking, I, I would, you know, <laughs> then end up, you know, the, the YouTube star that's all over the media for, for some thing that, that the, 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 the court of public opinion, opinion has dubbed guilty. Mm -hmm. Like, man, that's a nightmare. Yeah. So, well, social pain. I would argue is almost always perceived as worse yeah. than physical pain, and it lasts a lot longer. Yeah, and there's there has been 
Man, I'm going to have to reference some of these studies in the show notes because I don't want to just be throwing out random yeah. like, uh, statistics. But the, there's even uh, – I was reading 12 Rules for Life by uh, Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. And within that book, it even showed – it reflected studies where people would risk their life in order to avoid social pain. And because they would regard social pain yeah. greater than, than physical I, pain. And I think you're starting to see that in law enforcement. You know, I was just uh, having a conversation today, in fact, about that, where you're starting to see more More you're even getting now with, with body cams being more prevalent and just cell phones being everywhere and cameras being everywhere. There's surveillance everywhere now. So, so there, there's just, there's that uh, aspect that's feeding to this as well, but you're starting to see it more and more where where cops are hesitant to do what may be necessary in a given situation because of that fear, and and cops are actually getting hurt now, and it's starting to surface. And you know, I, I think in this day and age, because everything is out there, like on on film, you just assume everything is is being recorded. That, that uh, you know, maybe maybe it was there before, but it's 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 definitely out there now and being exposed and uh it's it's a scary thing i admit that i can be an anxious person so i might be very biased in my relationship but if i were in a job and say clean houses and i was required to have a camera on me at all times and i know that my boss or someone would be probably reviewing that to make sure that my cleaning technique was on point i would be nervous a lot of the time yeah. and very doubtful of my behaviors and my actions and worried that, you know, something I'd get reprimanded at some point in time. Yeah. Because like, like you said, um, it, there's a thing that, that they used to say when I lived in uh, Idaho, that if a, if a cop were to follow you, um, f- for the whole day, they'd be able to pull you over for something because you, we make slight mistakes. Oh, absolutely. And so if you were to have a body cam on all day, I would imagine that you being human, you might make a yeah. small mistake. And I, that probably flies under the radar, but I could see the potential psychologically with that pressure. Yeah. Well, we, we our department has yet to actually go to that, I think, for, for various reasons I won't get into. But yeah, I, I do know, you know, several several you know people that I do know, several friends that are, are on departments that do utilize those. And mm-hmm. I, I, it, we're not as resistant against it as as one might think because it also helps exonerate many things you know there's a lot of false accusations about you know behavior or you know complaints for this or that and 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 a lot of times the body cam is the thing that comes out and exonerates the officer Mm -hmm. so um you know it's it's good and bad you know like like you said it is if it makes you play straight then you know i guess it's doing its intended purpose Mm -hmm. but uh yeah, I mean, it's nothing that I've had experience with, uh, you know, my time on the street, you know, I've been off the street now for, I don't know, five years or so, but, uh, you know, my time on the street didn't include that. And, and even now, currently, uh, to my knowledge, there's no one on this department with, with a body cam hmm. uh, as they're kind of figuring things out. I think there's, there's, it's not necessarily a resistance thing, it's, it's more kind of the political side mm-hmm. um, is my understanding. But, you know, I can't really touch on that because it's not, mm-hmm. not my job <laughs> if you're allowed to elaborate on it what is it like to be a, a what's a day in the life of a patrol officer and like i said five years removed um you know like it, it, it's it's a job you know and and uh i think you know you you watch cops you kind of get get what we do and that's that's you know it, it's a pretty accurate depiction of, of what we do and 
you know, you're out there and you're taking calls and you're, 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 and when you're not taking calls, you're, you're looking for, for criminal activity. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're, we're working different, different things that may be going on in the community. And I mean, my, my, my time was, was often spent working nights. So, you know, you got to know your, your gas station clerks and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, you dealt with a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff, but, uh, a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it's it's a challenging job, but you know that's what a lot of us got into it for. There's there's you know if you're that adrenaline junkie type, you know you're getting that stuff too, the hot calls and, and driving fast and you know chasing people. So it happens. What do you? I got this is kind of a two part question. What are the general archetypes that you find uh, or that you have found? who become patrol officers or, and then also what is your archetype? What, why did you want to become a police officer? Um, you know, the first one, I, I don't know, man. The, the first one is, I don't, there, there's a, just, there's a, a lot of different types of people. I mean, you usually can get that type A personality, you know, the one that kind of take charge type of person that, uh, you know, the alpha type of, uh, person that's out there that's that's not afraid to put themselves out there you know it's a big part of the job is having confidence and you're not going to last very long if you walk into a room and no one knows you're there i mean that's part of the job is that command presence so i would say that's definitely there but everybody comes from all walks of life we get a lot of military people you know there's probably an abundance of that but you know there's probably just as many people that went to college so you get you really do get all types um as for me man that's tough um, you know, I, I came, I was in the Marine Corps for four years previous to this. I, I literally just kind of fell into the job, but, uh, you know, I, I also didn't see myself, you know, working in an office space somewhere. I mean, I think I learned that early on. I think it was around the seventh grade. I, I did some thing where you went to work with your parent and my, my dad was that, uh, you know, the, the office commando man and, and, you know, the sitting there and going to meetings and I just, I fell asleep. I mean, it's like, this is not for me. Uh, so I knew I had to be something where I was out and about and, uh, you know, I got out of the military. Uh, my son was very young at the time and I, I needed to do something. I was kind of working a job that my uncle got me with a local beverage distribution company and it was a lot of labor for a little bit of money and I knew that wasn't sustainable uh, but it made ends meet for the time and um, you know I think uh, it was actually my mom picked up the application for me and it was something I had thought about doing but I, I didn't know how realistic it was for me mm-hmm. um, but next thing I know is like damn I'm starting the academy <laughs> oh, wow yeah yeah here we are 16 plus years later so and yeah, I would say more I fell into it, but then, you know, my mom likes to point out, she pulled this thing up from like first grade or something that, uh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it says police officer. It's like, oh, okay, touche. So, um, yeah. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and when people hear about like really high stress and serious situations going wrong, um, it's hard for people to be able to relate and understand, you know, how that happens. So from your experience in a patrol op- as a patrol officer in these high-stress scenarios, how easy for it, is it for the whole scenario to unravel? Like how much control do you actually have? You know, I've been in a couple of very dire-type situations, and, and, and as we already kind of spoke to, you don't 
rise to the occasion, you fall back to the level you're training. At some point, your training just kind of takes over. Um, you know, I've I've had a couple, of le- at least one, where it was almost like this out of body experience. Uh, every time just kind of slowed, and uh, what they call that, like taxi, I believe, is the term for it. Uh, and you know, there, there's a lot of different things that'll happen physiologically, right? And a different phenomenon that you might experience. And, and for me, that was one thing was that time just kind of slowed down. Um, and, you know, tunnel vision and uh, auditory exclusion were huge. You know, like uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into the particular incident, but it was like, you know, the climax happened and, and suddenly there was just this unreal silence. And then kind of everything came snapping back to almost like, you know, uh, a scene out of Saving Private Ryan or something. It's like all of a sudden, boom, you're like, oh, wow, okay, what just happened? And then you're just trying to process everything that happened. And then you realize, my God, training absolutely just took over. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, I had one of those very early on in my career to see how quickly something can devolve. And you're like, you know what? You cannot train enough. Mm-hmm. You cannot train enough to prepare yourself for something like that. And uh you know, ever since then, that's always been a focus of mine. And, you know, I and went through relationships where it's like, why do you train so much? It's like, uh, you want me to come home, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, like I've seen how fast this can go. And, and I know you don't understand. Most people lack that perspective. But uh, having lived it, I mean, there, there's also that's just that's my thing. You know, it's my jam. It's an addiction, obviously, of its <laughs> own to, to, to train. But um, there, there is the practical reasons as well. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to come home. I don't know. I, and I've seen how quickly these things can happen and, and to hell if, if, if I'm going to lose. So. Yeah. Specifically for you too, because a lot of people, a good amount of people would go into martial arts for self-defense. It's like in the argument would be, well, when are you ever going to be in one of those scenarios? That, that does happen in a lifetime, right? But for you, <laughs> yeah, a lot more. Yeah, and that's something I try to relay, um, you know, to to officers that come through any training of mine. It's like you, you don't have a say in it. You get picked, you know. Uh, kind of one of the buzzwords of the day, de-escalation. Everyone likes to talk about de-escalation. I say, well, guess who gets to decide whether or not a situation de-escalates? Do you think it's the cop? No. Think about that. Now, cops can contribute to escalating a situation, right? But ultimately... Who decides if the situation de-escalates? I mean, it's not up to us. We would all have a positive outcome. There, there's just far less headache involved. If I can go to a scene and have everything go the way it needs to go without any, any kind of resistance, right? We would all love that. But ultimately, we don't get to decide. If we come in and, and something's determined, like, okay, arrest has to be made. Okay, hey, you're under arrest. Okay. At that point, who decides whether the situation stays on that level or, or escalates, right? You, you, you have the person that either is going to comply or you're going to have some type of resistance. At any case, it's not us deciding. Mm-hmm. We come into a scene and automatically, you know, just our presence alone is, 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 in many is, 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 is something that's going to stoke, um, you know, a response mm-hmm. of some type, right? Usually a negative one. And um, so you, you, when we look at that, it's, it's important to understand. It's like we can't, feed into it, right? And, that, and that's where I speak to, okay, well, I'm not deciding if it's to de-escalate. I'm going to come here. I'm going to do my job. And this person's either going to comply with, with lawfully what I'm doing 
or we're going to have to handle things. And at any rate, it's not up to me whether force is used. It's not up to me whether the situation is handled, you know, via just, hey, you know, turn around, put your hands on your back type of thing. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's one thing that's important to understand. Um, and, and, and on the other side of that same coin, right, if someone decides they're going to try and kill you, you don't have a say when that day is either. Mm-hmm. You know, they pick you. You're in a fight, fight of your life. You probably didn't decide that, mm-hmm. right? We don't go running into the middle of, you know, a gunfight usually, you know, it, 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 without, you know, someone deciding to shoot at us. So um, almost always caught off guard at that point. Exactly. And, and so with that mindset, if you understand that, I think you kind of mentally are prepared a little better and, and to at least fight some of that complacency. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you understand, it's like, man, I could be picked any day, you know, you're dealing with dangerous things. You know, they, they talk about traffic stops are super dangerous because you never know who's behind the wheel. And, and I think the general public doesn't understand that we, we may be very curt, you know, when, when, uh, someone that is no threat, right. You're, you know that, but you know, the officer coming up doesn't know. And, and many times some have paid the ultimate price cause they, they stopped that person, you know, that just killed their wife or whatever. And we have no idea. Yeah, and that that's that's happened. That's out there. There you can look it up. There's more than one instance of you know this this traffic stop that just happened to be, you know, right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. Everyone will look at it, but you know this person's just committed this heinous crime, and the the cop has no idea. And that was that's a that's very nerve wracking having that level of uncertainty in the possibility of your life being over at any point in time, how do you cope with that emotionally so that it doesn't influence your behavior in a negative I, you way? You can't think like that. can't yeah. think like that. Yeah, you got to push back those thoughts. And that's, that's what it, it, this, this, uh, you know, bulletproof mindset they talk about. Um, you're going to win any fight. You have to, you have to believe that because you have to win every fight, right? You lose one, it's over. And you have to adapt that mindset is it, it's not possible. You, you, you push push those thoughts out. That, that's the only way. Um, you know, besides that, like I said, the training is always going to be a big contributor to to developing that mindset of knowing that. Like like I said, I, you, you walk in and you know you have a whole skill set to fall back on. Um, you know, that's the ultimate de-escalation, in my opinion. If you can stay calm and cool, even when the person you're dealing with may be getting hot and, 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 and their behavior may be escalating, but you're staying low, um, not saying your response. Now that's different. If there's a if there's a response that's needed, then you de- you you deal with it as necessary. But if you can stay cool, where you're processing all information that's being put out there, uh, and and knowing that hey, if this goes bad, I already know I got, I can handle this because I'm prepared. You know that 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 to me is a successful formula to you know just what you said it's like a lot a lot of things can go into that as well you know like i said following all the training you received is huge not being complacent you know not having that mindset of ah this is just you know another traffic stop um we all know how to make a good traffic stop you learn you learn that very early on you learn that at the academy how to be safe you know and usually you can find in any instance where a cop has been hurt or killed you can find something to where they they were complacent on some level mm-hmm. yeah and f- for people out there with children who've had experience with children for you guys to be able to relate to this it might help um to think about think about it in terms of raising a child or babysitting a child um you don't have control over how that child acts 
towards you necessarily. Yeah. You can set limits and boundaries, and there's consequences for that, which is a police officer does themselves whenever they walk into a room. There's boundaries. There's yeah. obvious consequences. Um, and it's up to the child if they follow it. Yeah. And at any point in time, you never know if they're going to throw a tantrum. And But if they do throw a tantrum, and they do decide to perhaps get physical or verbal and break your limits and even be unsafe, um, it's falling back to that training because yeah. you could feed into their um, tantrum by becoming emotional, uh, screaming, generally makes it worse, you know, uh, freaking out your own self in whatever way. Um, and, and with that, it's add like the ability for them to actually kill you because i mean your kids are not going to kill you like <laughs> it's my son hits me yeah. and he's six it's like it's a uh, yeah it's a very loose comparison but i see where you're going with it and I, I will add to this to the other side right we we all know bad parents right mm -hmm. yeah, that don't know how to deal with that so is it the same in the copy absolutely so that i mean that analogy can work um on, on a level. Yeah. On a level. <laughs> yeah. I just think with the, I work with behaviorally challenged kids and that's one thing that, um, that I have to deal with because they get, uh, not to go into details, but they get violent, um, whether it's, uh, throwing things or trying to stab or even concuss some individuals. Um, and the whole key that is de-escalating them because a lot of it's one-on-one. -on -one, so you're working with that person oh, yeah. continually and it's de-escalating them and then getting them back to do what to do the work that escalated them in the first place and try to remove the escalation so that they can just follow through with the work that they have to do. Um, when you spoke earlier about training officers, you said that sometimes ego can kind of get in the way. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some strategies and tactics that you've used to get around that? <laughs> humor. humor. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer self-deprecating humor. Now, I, I like to... Uh, Try and lighten the mood by by you know, just trying to make it funny, make it fun, lighten the load. You know, uh, I, we we run enough enough. Like I said, when you're training, you know, a department of roughly 750 commission. You know, you're you're running the same class a lot. Mm -hmm. So, I, I kind of develop a bit. You know, it mm -hmm. becomes almost like a you know, just like a comedian might. So I, I've got s certain jokes that I learn. Like, okay, that one bombed, and I kind of you know learn <laughs> learn my my whole you know opening monologue and everything else just to just to kind of set the pace and and once once i get everybody laughing i know it's like okay we're we're ready to get some work done so um yeah that that to me isn't really a challenge because we get all types some some you're just never going to reach some are going to come in they're going to have their arms crossed they're going to be given that total body language of i hate that i'm here right now and there's nothing you're going to do about it it's like okay so you try and reach the ones that you can. Uh, mo most are very open to it. And, and if they weren't, you know, it, it's more to getting them to relax because it can be kind of nerve-wracking when it's like, oh, gosh, I haven't done this in, you know, so long, and now I'm out here and I'm going to look dumb. And so when you kind of make it light and, and, and fun like that, then they, okay, I, I can I can do this, you know, and it sets the mood better. Um, so, yeah. It, the bigger challenge, honestly, is coming up with something that will be viable that they can learn in a short amount of time in such a low frequency how do you do that yeah that's the million dollar question you got the answer for that you need to help me out um now I, I i try to stick mainly to to just big concepts um you know i, I won't get into any particulars about where what we're running but but really i'm not going to be able to you know even get them to like <laughs> 
a, a white belt level of, of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get somebody that comes to class just a few times, you're going to have more time with them than you're going to get in this one block once a year. So we just try and be like, hey, you know, if you can, if, if you're in this situation and you can focus on these two things, you know, it might save your ass. Mm-hmm. But some of it also is just, like I said, that whole dynamic of uh, most don't even know what they don't know. So exposure could be part of the process. Like you don't want to be here because mm-hmm. this is terrible. Do you see why? <laughs> now don't end up here, you know. So uh, some of it could be that. Um, but it, that that is the challenge. That that's the huge challenge. Um, constantly pushing for more training because it it, it 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 frankly is not enough. So you know that that's the uphill fight that I'm constantly having to make. So how do we get more training? And then when you get more training, all right. Now now I can deal with the the resistance by you know the particular individual mm-hmm. that comes to training that, that's the easy part to me it's just getting them into the room that's the challenge mm-hmm. is it up to you to be able to decide how to um set those kinds of classes and how to capture as many of the police officers for uh, training as possible? ultimately no yeah. i mean uh, I, can, I can try and be creative with it um but I found that you you do something that's voluntary. Like we've we've tried that. You know, I got I got a whole team of instructors that I work with, and and we've tried many different ways to try and get training out. And one of them was just kind of this: hey, we'll just throw some training out there and see who shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, for various reasons, it's just difficult to get that to work. You you get a handful of people sometimes um, that that are able to somehow get out of their normal work and 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 show up for that but that that in of itself is a challenge and then you just kind of have a lack of interest as well it's like ah, why would i want to do that i might you know if i could do this other easy overtime gig or or just work my normal job which i'm used to or, or whatever it may be and, or some people are just genuinely too busy for it you know there's a lot of jobs that that carry a big workload so you know oh. it, it's 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 difficult yeah. how common is it that you encounter people who are uncomfortable with change? <laughs> In the cop world? Yeah. Oh, always. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, uh, you check their pulse that they're not complaining. <laughs> uh, they're going to lump me in there, too. It's just kind of part of the culture. Like, part everyone of likes to complain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, any any change is going gonna, is gonna to be met with resistance. And, uh, you know, I, I feel pretty lucky with, with this last year of, of training that we launched that it was well-received. I got very little, you know, negative feedback. So, um, yeah. And I don't know necessarily that I introduced any change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we broke the mold for what was traditional for, you know, police tactics that, that then we kind of, Hey, you know, how many, how many got these traditional, you know, control holes to work where you're twisting wrists and everything. And, and pretty much no one raises their hand for that stuff. And cause it, it's got a limited application, you know, yeah. that's a common thing that I've encountered because I've done right response training recently, uh, working to in preparation to work with these children, and like a lot of the things they showed me didn't make any sense in, in its application, and uh, unless they let you do it. But then when I would go and get trained by, I'd watch the videos, and then the people within the company would then train me. It wasn't an in-house video, right? Response, I, I suppose it's something like that sold to other. Mm-hmm. company so yeah. that as a technique um and then they get certified right response um but they would i would then be trained by the people uh of the company after we watch the video and they're like yes yeah, some of this stuff just doesn't work and i'm like how 
I gotta make me a certification company and walk in there because, like, from from my experience, even the things that they showed me made a little more sense. Like, there was even some where you're uh, more in line with like jujitsu, mm-hmm. and what I've seen work there, especially against someone who's like a white belt, brand new, and they're you know really spazzing out kind of, and how to establish control. Um, and from my understanding that a lot of the people who make these things, it's kind of a disconnect between the person doing them and then a person making them and mm-hmm. selling them to the company. Yeah. Institutional inbreeding. Institute. Whoa, what's this? Institutional inbreeding. Um, I, I think it's just kind of one of those things where, well, this is what's always been taught, so we're just going to continue mm-hmm. to teach it. I've heard that in um, maintenance for, for the county in Arlington, uh, Cedro Woolley, and then the DNR up in Bellingham. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah, and, and like you said, it kind of goes back to, well, who likes change? Well, very few people like change. Yeah, well, this is what we learned, okay? Did you ever actually use it in real-life application? Well, no. Why are we still learning that? Why are we still pushing that as as a means? Like like I've said, it, it's hard to control people, you know? You know that. You know? And you just think somebody that... Uh, you throw this cop out there now and you give them this limited skill set that really, I mean, you, they, they literally train hours and hours on, on these, these control holds, you know, Hey, which relies on you isolating an arm, you know, and getting some sort of twist on a wrist or, or something like that. And that's not easy to do, uh, you know, against anybody. Like, I'm not even talking about a trained individual. I'm just talking about somebody that doesn't want you doing it to them. And, and you learn that pretty quick, man, that's not as easy as it was, you know, when I learned that when you're doing it with a partner that, you know, his only motivation is to make it to lunch. Mm-hmm. And now you got somebody that generally does not want to be controlled because they're, you know, fighting for their freedom or worse. And, uh, yeah, you learn pretty quick to abandon that. And, and you know, it turns in kind of a free-for-all. So that was kind of the objective of, of our last training was like, okay, okay, well, let's at least come up with a game plan. You know, if, we, if let's not make it a free-for-all if we just kind of get – you know, something together uh, that, that, that may be viable. You know, it's not going to work for every situation. But, uh, you know, we, we run into much more just kind of the resisting low-level, you know, offender-type situation than anything else. And and so you kind of need an answer to that. You know, anything that kind of goes above that, then we, we start relying on tools. You know, everybody's familiar with the taser or pepper spray or, or anything like that. You know, that the, those you, you have to kind of meet you have to have reached a, a certain level of resistance, right? You can't just freely just taste somebody just because they don't want to go with the program. Um, so we still need those low-level control tactics, right, for that person that doesn't quite make the threshold to where you're going to use what we would call like intermediate levels of force, like the taser or, or strikes or, you know, a baton or, or pepper spray. So you need something, and if it's not going to be what has traditionally been taught but is no is a known failure, you know, uh, commonly known failure across most apartments. So what what answers do you have there? And we we talk about control aspects that are very common in jujitsu, and uh, we we've had a lot of success on our department, at least from the feedback I've been given of like field application of what we taught. And again, not getting into specific techniques, but uh, you know, it, it's it's had its moments where something may have traditionally been, you know bumped up to that intermediate level of force to where we're injuring somebody, right? And uh, we, we've been able to avoid that in some instances. So I consider it a success. Yeah, yeah that sounds very successful. Yeah. Um, and so why did you get into martial arts? 
You said you got into a man police officer. Right? Oh, dude, I've been doing it since a kid. Whoa. Like, uh, I don't know what stoked it. I've just kind of, you know, I don't know. You talk to my parents. I think it was just kind of something always in me, you know, playing with GI Joes and everything else growing up. And I remember seeing the karate kid, the original one and, I want to learn karate, so, you know, I got enrolled in, in karate early on. I did that for a while. I competed in karate as a kid. Um, did you like competing when you were a kid in karate? Um, I did. I did. You know, it was uh, back then, uh, you know, being a little kid, and, and it was uh, it was fun, you know. And I mean, that's what they did in Karate Kids. They went out there, and you kicked each other, right? Yeah. So, of course, I wanted to do that. And, you know, I, I had mixed success and you know I, I i won some medals and i i, I lost too and i think I, I i learned mostly that uh you know I, I don't think it and my love for martial arts never waned you know you grew up in the 90s and you know you were into that kind of thing then you know you're watching all the movies you know <laughs> all the arnold schwarzenegger and van damme i mean blood sport is really i used to watch that movie on repeat and i think ultimately that's what rekindled everything is you know the advent of the UFC coming out and I was like, wow, this is like blood sport in real life. And then that's kind of where jujitsu came in because, you know, I, I'm being cliche, I think by saying so watching Hoist Gracie and just being like, okay, well, what is he doing? You know? And I've never, never thought that that could be fighting, you know? Um, I think I'd seen like street fights break out and there'd be like a, a wrestler or something that would take him to take someone down and hold him down. You could see like, man, well, that's pretty boring, you know, but man, he just controlled that guy who I thought was pretty tough. Um, so I kind of had an understanding that, man, you can, you can do some stuff by dragging fights to the ground, but then seeing how, how Hoist was able to just dominate was very intriguing to me, you know, cause I'm expecting, you know, flying split kicks like Van Damme oh, yeah. was throwing. And here we got this little guy, it's like a string bean in a gi <laughs> strangling people. I'm like, what? So, um, there wasn't many options around then around this area. Um, but ultimately I found places and, and just, I started down that road and was addicted ever since. So how long have you been training in jujitsu for? Oh, jujitsu. I took my first classes. It must've been 1999. I think I was still in the Marine Corps and I would drive to, I think it was Mira Mesa. So Fabio Santos had a school there and, uh, I, I started out there kind of, I, I only took just a handful of classes with him. Uh, it was, it was quite a task to every weekend drive from Yuma, Arizona to Mira Mesa and, and, and train for an hour, then, you know, drive back. I, I dated somebody out there for a while, which made it a little less painless, but that just wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really until I came back up to this area after I got out of the Marine Corps and that must've been into 2001 sometime. I believe. Oh. Yeah. And that's, I just trained at, uh, Charlie Pearson's then and, uh, got into MMA through, through Charlie's back in the day and, uh, didn't train Gi again until uh, sometime after that. And that's when I was at, uh, what was Tapper Snap then, but now they, they're called North South, North Sound Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It was the Kavaka school up there. Uh, Mike Simpson, shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's that's where I got back in the gi, and I think I did white to purple belt under Mike, and then I moved to the Edmonds area sometime 2010. I didn't really train. I think I was still training with uh, Wiseman, Eric Wiseman uh, at Alderwood, and then Shoreline MMA off and on until I found the uh, Edmonds Jiu-Jitsu school there, which is now Kindred, um, you know. And, 
ultimately took over as head instructor there. So, yeah, and it's been quite a road. That is quite a road. Yeah. And was when you were training in MMA, um, were you f- was there like a specific martial art that you were focusing on, like Muay Thai, kickboxing, um, that, that you favored rather? Um, I mean, I liked it all. I think I always kind of had a penchant for the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what intrigued me the most. But I still enjoy striking arts. Um, I enjoy clinch work. I, I enjoy a lot of the stand-up as well. I have a lot of respect for that. And um, You know, we, we've added Muay Thai at, at uh, Kindred as well with uh, the Guild Muay Thai. Uh, Marquee and, and uh, Ashley Wilhelm, they're on board with us now. And I'm having a lot of fun kind of getting back into that. So... Yeah, I enjoy it as well. Um, I, I think the 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 ground is always going to be, uh, you know, my main my main love. But uh, I, I still enjoy that stuff as well. When you were doing MMA, were you um, were you doing amateur fights and pro fights? Or uh, I just had a couple of uh, lousy amateur fights. I didn't do very well. Um, I I, <laughs> I went out and I competed. I will say that I I I do give myself credit that, but uh, I really didn't know what I was doing then. I mean, I, I didn't have a, a skill set to fall back on. I still remember my first fight and uh, Charlie going, okay, I got you this fight. This guy's like 6-0 and in kickboxing oh. or something. I was like, what? Well, gosh, <laughs> well, I guess I should take him down. <laughs> Man, I wish I knew a takedown. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I still got out there and got after it. It was, it was a different game back then, too. I mean, it was it was not... You know, there was not fights every weekend. It was it was sparse. There's there's only a few schools around then that had people competing. So, um, you know, I think uh, you know I had the one fight and and then I did another one quickly after because I want to get the bad taste out of my mouth and uh, you know against a guy who eventually had a pretty good pro record. But uh, I did better in that one. Uh, still ended up losing. But yeah, I'm I'm owing too, man. Like uh, you know, and then I got the police job going and had to kind of. I, I I never planned for it to be anything beyond that. It, it's always been just a hobby for me, and I think that's okay. Um, you know, that's always my my goals are different. I, my goals were never to be a competitor. I, I think I did that just for myself. How, how'd you come to that determination? I don't think that was ever a goal of mine. I think it's just something one of those things. I just wanted to do it. Uh, I don't I don't even really know why. I just wanted to get out there. I, I wanted to I wanted to compete. I think it's just kind of that. Uh, martial artist in me that just that hey i gotta test my skills you know and 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 i want to be uncomfortable i want to go out there and 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 i mean the nerves leading up to it were far worse than the fight and uh you know um just go out there and see what i can do and uh, there was never a goal to like being a world champion or anything like that with me it's always been about uh, i guess a, a a lower level journey than that of just doing martial arts and I'd say not a lower level journey though. I'd say just an accessory to it all, because that's the thing that I, I go back and forth with um, for myself. Right? I really like to write. I obviously I do like ultra running and rock climbing and jujitsu, and it's like, well, okay, if I wanted to be number one at all the races that I did, I'd probably only should race. Or yeah. if I wanted to be number one in jujitsu, I guarantee, right? If I I will still work towards that for me personally. Um, and if it happens to be the case, great, I'll do the best that I can, but I'm not going to like remove all of these things. If it came to an ultimatum in order to achieve number one in my division, you know, uh, at, uh, Abu Dhabi or, you know, the trials, right. Yeah. Uh, because 
I've just came to that determination. I love to write. Like I loved connecting all these experiences. I grossly overgeneralize everything. So, <laughs> and I, I like to like think about um, things from the perspective of a layman, you know, and be able to convey that to people who perhaps have never done jujitsu before or have never gone running into the backcountry. Or if you did, right, it's fanfare. Like you get to see someone who has uh, gone through these experiences shared with, you know, several other people who are doing the same thing and recounting those experiences. And I've met people who who were like that in their own way. Like uh, if there's a Jack Kerouac. Uh, he's a writer from the 50s, and um, he's from, like, the beat period where, like, jazz was coming up and stuff, and they were all doing drugs. But um, <laughs> <laughs> And he was, like, pleasure-seeking. I don't relate to him on that part, but he would, like, travel and meet people and just be like a fly on the wall, right? Yeah. And recount his experiences with a little creative freedom. And then he goes from, like, doing that in, like, the metropolis areas to going and manning fire lookouts um, up on, like, Highway 20 being in isolation for 60 days. And, like, all of his stories are about, you know, this whole diverse life, living many lives, if you will, uh, as opposed to, like, I've started, you know, grappling. This is what I do. This is my number one thing. This is life for me. And I, it's just not in it. Yeah, and I've known that within like the past year. And, and I think that for me as well is just I knew it was never in the cards. Like I said, I got the Marine Corps. My 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 son was two or three years old then, and I mean that that's the priority. And and you know I I, I trained and and the opportunity to compete came up, and I and I'm I'm uh, there's no regrets there. You know I I I'm happy I did it, you know, but there was never any goals to go beyond that. Just because that's just that's it wasn't my my life path, and you know I knew I needed to get some kind of career going and and be a good father, and and that's always been my ultimate goal. But I, I've never wanted to stray too far from from doing the martial arts mm-hmm. training. Um, just you know, and, and you know I I will never say no to competing ever again. I mean I competed for the first time in quite a while last summer, and I had a lot of fun with that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I, it, it, the right situation comes along, I I probably would do it again. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've got some significant injuries as well, and that's definitely kind of put a damper on that. Uh, you know, I hit, like I said, I hit 30, and I had a lot of back problems. And, you know, now we're at this point where I've had, you know, three different surgeries, uh, low back and in my neck and the last five years, and I'm 40 years old, and i got to think about, you know, surviving this career and, uh, providing for my family. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but, uh, you know, I'll never stop training. That's at least in, unless my body just completely shuts down. It's just, uh, for me, it, it's, it's a great release and it, and it keeps me level. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The, the that's kind of where I've come to as well is cause like I even think about, um, as my son gets older, when he's in middle school, I'm pulling him out because middle school, they kind of go over elementary school and then prepare them for high school. Um, but we're going to do um, traveling abroad oh, and wow. have these things to where you can, with your child, you can take them and go and spend like um, a year in school in like a foreign country. Oh, that's and cool. you can stay, you have the option, I believe, of staying with a host family as, as a f- family they have a cap on like how many people would go so you can't bring like five kids yeah yeah (laughs) bring the brady bunch yeah exactly (laughs) like we're moving in yeah um and with that like it's like it'd be so cool to be able to you know go and drop in at these gyms and like experience what a great experience the whole thing would be yeah then it's so um instrumental in my life that because like jujitsu 
has taught me so much about, um, you know, beyond the mats. Like I said, mentioned before with stress management and um, all of those like coping skills, but even get to learn like what my limits are and then the euphoria that comes from it. It's, it's so rewarding, you know. <laughs> no, I hear you. <laughs> and um, so, what made you transition from MMA though to? Well, do you focus mainly just on jujitsu now, or? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I there's a there's a few things I'd I'd say. Um, one, like I said, I always kind of gravitated towards you know the the ground. Um, I think that was just more more where I was fascinated and, and like to explore and, um, goes back to what I was talking about earlier as well Is like, it's very hard to have a situation where you can simulate violence safely. And I think jujitsu does probably the best job of that. So even any kind of striking art, there's just such a greater risk of injury, um, that, and, uh, you know, I, I don't like being punched. <laughs> I don't either. So that's how, what happened to me. Cause like I have my kickboxing yeah. match. Um, one of my first kickboxing matches and I, it was a knockout or draw. So yeah. I got a draw with the guy and then my other teammate went up mostly his fault. Cause he, he didn't train very much in preparation for this. He definitely wasn't ready. Um, he went up and he got head kicked and he didn't even block it or yeah. anything. Yeah. And so he lost his memory for two days. He would got off and like, he was with his mom and he's like, where am I? What, yeah. what was I doing? And I'm yeah. like. Oh, um, and I, like, I understood that there was that consequence, right? But I got full custody of my son and then already in like, you know, uh, sparring and then the smoker, you know, I got, I got rocked a couple of times and I'm like, mm, how many times do I got to get rocked before something yeah. starts to happen? I mean, I've, 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 I think the only time I've been knocked out clean was actually in a street fight, but, uh, and that's a, another story. <laughs> no. Um, that was that was pre even Marine Corps, but even still, uh, and, you know, I got sat down a couple times to train, but I don't think I ever took a big. But it's just more just I don't know, man. Like I I get fired up. Like when it's that thing where you get hit one, you know, you start out I was like, hey, let's just kind of go like, yeah. and then you're going, and and so, I get touched a little bit. It's like, huh, good one, and then you know, it's just so hard to not like, okay, wow. And the next thing you know, you're in a full on fight yeah, with with energy. a training partner, you know, yeah. and uh, you know. Uh, you know, MMA was never in the cards for me. So that is a, the extent anymore of my experience generally l relies in, you know, the, the training room with, with partners and, and, you know, hitting a partner is just, I don't know, like, you know, and like I said, I kind of get that, that fury that comes up anytime I, I get a, a good little hit. So, and, and now anymore, I got a concern of, you know, the, the injury to my neck. I've, I've got, uh, two implants uh mm -hmm. replacing the discs there and, and the, the surgeon's like well i mean could you get hit yeah you could i mean but you're also risking paralysis so you know go ahead play with fire it's like okay you know i'd rather not might be fast. yeah yeah i'm i'm cool like <laughs> i like being able to you know use my my body yeah. so um, so there's that concern now as well. So, so definitely it's more just kind of, even, even with jujitsu, I got to be careful. You know, I start getting my, my head pulled on a little bit and I, you know, and I don't get the nerve pain that I had pre-surgery, but you know, I, I definitely, the area is compromised. So I, I definitely have to pay attention to it. So, mm -hmm. um, with most people I can, I can hold myself, you know, and control where the action goes, you know, with, with most of the students at Kindred, um, 
you know, until I get to some of the upper belts or I, I go elsewhere and, and with higher level people that it's like, okay, well now I can get my head snatched at any time <laughs> and any yeah. other time I can kind of keep that away from them. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so injuries are a concern, but it, I think it's, it's far easier to manage during ju- doing jujitsu and not to say I don't get the little nagging thing, you know, every now and again, but, uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, as opposed to kicking each other in the face, it's, it's a, it's a better alternative. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I like how it's something that I can share with my son because he can do class and then yeah. I can do class and we can drill together. He is small, so it might not be accurate <laughs> on my part, but <laughs> trying to put him in the electric chair, having him yeah. do splits with his little six-year-old legs, that wouldn't oh, work yeah. too well. But yeah. he'll, he'll be he'll be you know growing up and and out there you know chasing after you, looking to looking to strangle you in no time. Well, soon. the thing that happened now, I had to put a stop to it after a little bit, but uh, just because it came, became excessive. We would I'd be eating breakfast right, and then okay, we have a bench around our table and he usually sits on the bench and then I'll write in my journal while he eats breakfast. So I'm kind of like looking down and then all of a sudden I, I feel him like climbing on me and then he's like, rear naked choke. I'm like, oh, it's, it's six in the morning. What are we doing? Yeah. Stop. He'd do that every morning after a while and I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this. Like, and then, uh, oh, what really happened was is his grandma was there and his grandma is Man, she's like a 12-year-old sometimes because she's, like, very silly, and then they they mess they – like, they'll play around, and they'll mess with each other, like, tease each other. But, like, she was sitting on the couch. Only happened with her. Um, and she was, I don't know, on her phone or something like that, and he was in, in the mood to, like, tease and play with her. Uh, like, they've had pinching wars before. But um, <laughs> all of a sudden, she's like, oh, tap, tap. And I'm, like, looking over. Oh, and no. has her in a rear naked chair. Granny, like, no. Yeah, I'm like, dude, no. This, okay, we, we can't do this anymore. Like, let's recess. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. And Man. So, in closing, I got uh, I got two more things for you. Okay. Uh, as a teacher in jiu-jitsu, right, what are some effective principles that you've learned to teach people um, technique, yeah, um, yeah, something that that you know I've been exploring. Um, for for me, you know, I, I get that asked a lot. You, you get, gosh, I, I'd say about anywhere between that first six months to a year, and it, it's like you hit this first plateau. I get a lot of students around that time frame that are asking, "I'm just not getting any better." And, and it's at that point, I usually have the conversation, you know, be, there, there's a few different things I like to bring up. Number one, um, you're plateauing for a reason. It's usually because you've at that point, you've learned some skills mm-hmm. and you're no longer, you know, this this spaz is just freaking out and you're actually trying to apply these things. So as you're applying it, you're often slower than the people that already have it down. So. Uh, you know, you're you're getting caught as you're as you're trying to implement these these learned skills now that are just at a a slightly slower pitch than than you know maybe your more experienced uh, training partner. So we we hit those we start hitting those marks and that's when we I have to have that conversation and and then it's like okay you're at this point now where you're developing this this you have this nice base skill set and that and that's where I think the real teaching starts to begin. Um, I, I find. Fundamentals are fundamentals, and and I enjoy teaching fundamentals. Um, it's kind of the building blocks of everything, and 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 um, you know when you get that new student, it, even though it's something that I've taught you know a thousand other times, just seeing that somebody start to develop those skills is rewarding as a teacher. So that that part to me, I believe, 
though challenging um, as an instructor is, is not the most dynamic, you know, because you, you kind of have those laid out. It's nice and simple. Where it starts getting challenging is after you've laid down that nice base coat, right? And now now you got to start, okay, you've got to start raising them beyond that. And, you know, you get to that, that blue belt level, right? And that that's why you know, I was joking earlier about, you know, the, the, the blue belt that quits. Um, I, I think that's because you have to give some direction there. You kind of hit this point where uh, you, you've learned enough, right? And that's when you start seeing everything. And, and if you don't have that, that, that ability to kind of tune out the static and find focus, um, some people are just okay with calling it a day. Um, and so that's, that's usually when I have the talk of, okay, here's where we need to start mastering certain skill sets. And, and, uh, you know, I, I like to call it like an independent study and, um, you, you kind of hit that level where you've, you've, you've got a, a, a good grasp on all the basics and now it's time to begin your independent study. What is something that you're, you're finding yourself, um, catching often or, or some kind of skill set where you're, you're, you're having fun with it. And it's like, okay, let's explore that. Let's work down that pathway for a while. Let's let's work, um, you know, uh, a certain pass that you're getting very good at, and let's just develop it till you you feel like okay, I, I can't get any better at this, and then you move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. and and to me that that worked out well, and it took me honestly till like brown belt to discover that it's just kind of like gosh, I got to learn this, I got to learn that. There's so many things, there's so many things, and it's like you got you know just to give some perspective. You know, I, I moved to Edmonds area as a purple belt and really didn't have a teacher mm-hmm. from essentially purple to black belt. Not not anybody that was like guiding my training. So there was a lot of just, you know, failure along the way and, and, and learning on my own and the hard way. Um, and and uh, I do believe it may have been a little harder not having somebody kind of guiding that path. So I did kind of learn things, you know, maybe in a roundabout way, but eventually I got to this point where it's like, okay, okay, you can't try and just take everything in all at once. That That's just, that's like, you know, taking a drink from a fire hose. You, you've got to find a way to, to filter that down, you know, to, to a digestible level where you're just sipping from the water fountain. So like I, like I teach a lot of people, it's like, find some focus, even like come to class, you know, and maybe we're not, we're, we're not focused on that in class and still you can dapple in these other areas and you can still kind of bring those up just at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. And then you, you focus on this, like, like for me in the past year, for example, uh, I've been just trying to whole, wholly develop this kind of guillotine Darce Anaconda game. Um, and, and, <clears throat> for the last probably good solid year I've been doing nothing, just kind of finding all the different applications, uh, different little places where I can, I can sneak a little grip on that chin and, uh, you know, I'm finding new ways to do it. And I still don't feel like I have complete mastery. And I think once that is complete, I'll move on to the next thing. Now that's not to say that I'm not working on, you know, my, my, you know, guard retention or not working on my, you know, leg lock defense or, or something else. Like, like I'm still rounding out my game, Mm -hmm. but the independent study for the past year has been this whole kind of front headlock game. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's what I encourage. And, uh, you know, some, some students are, are good at taking that advice and some others, you know, maybe that doesn't work for them, but, uh, that, that's generally the direction I, I try and, uh, get students to focus on and, and my philosophy and, um, you know, 
eventually, you know, you're going to have enough of these skills that you've mastered to just kind of have this whole arsenal to fall back on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do believe that everybody should have a well-rounded game. You should have some answer for every situation you could end up in. And I, and I believe that is, uh, you know, setting the base fundamentals. Um, and then once you're there, then it's just time to have fun. Right. And, yeah. uh, that's what I, I like to talk about putting, the art piece back into martial arts. And, and I, I do believe, you know, I don't want everyone to be a cookie cutter of my style. Mm-hmm. I, I want, we, we're all different body types. We're all different backgrounds. We're all different strategists. And, uh, you know, not, it is never going to be one size fits all. And, and it would be, I think, uh, ignorant of me to force some particular style or some particular way of doing things. And it's like, I will show a way. You know, I will I will develop some technique for you, but you know what? I want you to go and explore and 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 be your own art, artist and you know kind of let the map be the canvas, um, and 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 really just see what you can do. You know, and and that's why I I encourage you know even though I wasn't much of a competitor, still you know I'm not. It's like I I encourage competition because that that's where you really get to put everything on full display, um, and and learn you learn a lot from competing. You know, and uh, I, you know, I, I just, it's not as available to me. I wish it were, but, uh, you know, I encourage students that that are in those positions that they compete and say, I, I think you should do it. You know, it's not for everybody either, but, uh, you know, if, if it's, uh, if it's even, even a thought, I think it should be something you, you chase. So yeah, the competition has been so rewarding, um, not even in jujitsu, but in many things. I encourage my son, uh, for instance, to play chess with me to play do jujitsu, uh, even video games, yeah. um, in moderation, but just being able to outmaneuver another human being, um, specifically if you're going in within the similar skill set, you know, in a discipline or martial arts, you're outmaneuvering someone who is trying to learn the same things as you are. And they're right about at the same area as you are. And then you're really competing against yourself, oh, basically. Yeah. yeah. And there's like there's so much more we can go into on that. We should save for a part two. But <laughs> the technique thing that you were talking about, um, too, it it always it's been reminding me as I've uh, been delving more and more into it. I mean, there's that whole uh, what Bruce Lee quote: uh, "I fear not the man who practices a thousand kicks one time, but one kick a thousand times." Yeah. It's that like. There's a world on a grain of sand, and the world is composed of several grains of sand. Yeah. It's like you can – and I, that's how I was so surprised when I look at, like, the Arnold Classic, right, um, or ultra runners or people who even illustrate. There is so much depth in what is perceived from the outsider's point of view to be the simplest of things. And not just depth and to learn, but, like, so much joy, so much hardship, suffering, challenges, just – in some little tiny thing. And maybe it's like you're saying, um, an arm bar, right? You could spend years trying to, um, hone your, your strategy with, with an arm bar and hone your technique and still find more and more. openings. I mean, you think about it, there's, there's ways now let's take your example with arm bar. There, there's things that are done now that used to be like, Oh, what are you doing? You can't do that. That's not how you do an arm bar. (laughs) But, you know, some, some person developed this style. It's like, oh, you know what? Actually, I, I cross my feet. Or, you know, mm-hmm. there's things that were just uh, taboo. You, you don't oh, do yeah. that, right? You do, you're not supposed to do that. It's like, well, this actually worked for me. And, and that's, that's the nice thing. There's, 
you know, many different ways in, in, in the only, and that's why I encourage this exploration. It's like, whoa, whoa, how did you just do that right there? What was that? Like, you didn't even have control of my head, but yet my arm was completely locked out, you know? And, 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 um, you know, so that's, that's, that's the beauty of this all is it, it's ever evolving and it's never going to stop evolving. And just when you think it's evolved, you're going to see that some way of doing things 10 years ago suddenly resurfaces, you know, and you're like, okay, I remember when that was how you did it. And that thing kind of went away. Well, now we're back to that, you know? So, uh, that, that's just, it's always going to keep me hooked, you know? And, and that's why I never, until my body just cannot do it anymore. And even then I'm going to be like, roll me on the mat, you know, (laughs) (laughs) push me out there one last time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wipe me. <laughs> you don't want to get it on the mat, don't you? <laughs> uh, and that's uh, the cool thing about that is like I, I like the um, Book of Five Rings by Musashi, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in that book, he he talks about with with dueling because they dueled to death. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not to be the strongest, not to be the fastest, or have like the most exotic technique. It's to under to know these things well. Because when you know these things well, when you confront the man or woman who's the strongest, you can be the fastest. Yeah. You confront them when they're the fastest, you can be the strongest. And it's so much fun um, just figuring that out because it helps with life so that I'm not so rigid. And uh, rigid- rigidity becomes brittle, which is fragile. And so you can be like soft and supple and adapt. And yeah. it's helped me so much. Um, what do you see for yourself as a fulfilling life? Man, you know, I'm. <laughs> if I die today, I, I would feel pretty fulfilled. Now I don't. I I, I still have a lot more I, I believe to give and 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 to to do in my life. But you know, I'm. I love. I love my life. Um, it's not perfect, but uh, you know, everything I've done to this point, I'm I'm proud of. Um, is there is there some things that you know are regrettable for sure? But uh, you know, I I think I take them as they were. They were they were lessons and. Um, I, I think I'm on a great path. Um, you know, I, I love the people that I have in my life and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. Um, you know, I, I, I feel very blessed to, to have the life that I have and, uh, you know, it's a success. I, 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 I don't see it going anywhere other than just getting better. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's been it's been enough to to fill my life already, and I, I expect it even to be you know seven times greater by the time, you know I'm I'm having my grandkids push me out onto the mat, you know. <laughs> you know maybe maybe that's the fulfillment is yeah. is is getting rolled out onto the mat at like 90 years old and and and, and trying to you know strangle somebody. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Stay on your knees. Yeah. You can't walk. Yeah. Hey, come here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you. Come here. I don't come over there. Uh, is there anywhere that um, people can find you or learn more about Kindred or even your um, training services? Yeah, I mean, you got uh, kindredjj.com is the website. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Um, you know, we're we're in the Greater Edmonds, North Seattle area. Uh, we're we're open. Man, come come train with us. We we have an open door policy. We accept all guests. There's no drop in fees like that. We're not exclusive. Like you don't gotta wear our gi or anything like that. Um, we're kind of known for for having pretty pretty good open mats, and uh, I love it when we get guests. 
uh, come visit us, even if you don't plan to to become a member or anything like that. But you know that that's one thing I I, I strive on the community. Uh, I, I'm very big on that. I I I, I I'm jujitsu first all the way. Uh, that that's my belief. Um, you know, everything else is a byproduct. Um, you know, I, I love the community that we have in this area and just over, I mean, and it's, it's not even just exclusive to us. I, I've been around the country and, and met a lot of people at different schools and, and it's just one of these communities where it's, it's still pretty small and, and a lot of people know each other or at least know people that know you. And, and, and that's just, you know, totally one of the greatest things to me. Um, so, you know, we, we, we maintain that philosophy, come through, come get some roles in, come meet some great people. Uh, we want to meet you, um, you know, come, come get that experience. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big salesperson, man. Like, uh, I, you know, find a way, train. Um, that, that's, that's my sales pitch. And yeah. Yeah, no matter where you are, you know, roll, roll, roll on the rug if you got to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <Put> on that grass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, um, something with jujitsu that, that I've found is that community aspect and, uh, being an angsty person in my youth, right, I didn't really understand that, that that's something that was important to me. Um, I didn't really have much religion. Well, I was a Mormon when I was a kid, but my mom got us out of there um, because of just some personal things that had happened. Um, they were really cool, though, yeah. for the most part. Um, <laughs> but even with my family, like the people that, I, that I've trained with and met through jiu-jitsu, really hardship in general, um, specifically voluntary hardship. Yeah. Like drama and stuff just doesn't apply. Um, I've bonded with them more so than I have ever with my family. Yeah. And I've gotten yeah. to know some people in ways. It's, it's pretty common, man. You know, like like I said, when you're out there and you're simulating murder in one another, <laughs> it, it creates a bond whether you want it to or not. You, know, you don't got to like everybody you train with, but you, everybody finds a way to get along. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a, you know, like you said, it, it is religion to some people. And I do know that it saved lives. I mean, more than just like self-defense. I'm talking about, you know, people that, that, that had significant problems in their life, whatever it may be. And it's like they found this thing that kind of brought them into, you know, a group of people that, that otherwise would have never come together. Mm -hmm. and, and you're a part of something. And uh, that's huge, you know. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a hard life, man. And, and, to not, and that's why I, I, I push it so big. It's like it, 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 a lot of people could use something like this in their life. And they, they maybe are, are afraid to get started or don't even know about it. Or, uh, you know, it, it, I think there's just so many good, positive things involved with, with uh, jiu-jitsu and, and the people within jiu-jitsu. So, you know, yeah. I'm 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 sounding like some bleeding heart with all this, but uh, you know I, it's it's been good to me. Is it, and, and you know you talk about fulfillment in my life, and that's been a big part of it. And you know my my kids my kids do this, and and I hope that they stay with it, and uh, you know they they will kind of get the same benefits that I've experienced. And and uh, you know it's there's most people in my life are involved in some aspect with 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 training. So um, you know I think that's for a reason. And, yeah, and I'm right there with you, too. And yeah. I mean, at the very end of the day, too, like, it's my firm belief that it's very helpful for psychological addictions as well. Or, yeah. Uh, adverse behavior, whether it's you're anxious or you're, uh, you have fury. You, I mean, you get put into a scenario that's high stress. 
now you're furious, yeah. and now you got to learn to cope because there's obviously you have this person's life in your hands. There's these social restrictions, and then um, it's a simulated environment. So yeah. it's not. And, and you, you got the same thing with chemical addiction. You got mm-hmm. people that come in, they they find this, and and it's their salvation. It's their 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 new addiction, and it's a healthy one. So uh, that's not uncommon either. Um, you got all types, you know, and that's it's a great thing. And like I've, I've talked about it with friends before, it's like, man, never would I have associated with with many of these people, like w- just from different walks of life that you know you come together. And there's some people that's like, man, I never would have been friends with a cop, you know. Mm-hmm. And like that's that's <laughs> some of my best friends are that way now. Like, man, I was always running from the police, and <laughs> and now we're hanging out and we're best friends. So, uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much for coming. Yeah, on, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Kindred Jiu-Jitsu, you can check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or their website, uh, kindredjujitsu.com, and you can find the links to all of that in the show notes. If you'd like to support the episode, feel free to rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you happen to listen to this. And if you'd like to pick up a shirt, you can head over to the website, becomingHumanPodcast.com, and hit the shop button. It helps us out a ton. Gives us a little bit of money for draw, uh, for um, production. <laughs> ah, I've been having a blast. This new year has been kicking off really well. It's already February. Time is flying. i got a lot of exciting things in store for y'all. See you next week. Of how you look and how you act and how you think They pretend they're not the same as you Do you know about his strength and convictions? Or how she puts all the faith in religion? Did we take the time to really discover How little we know about each other? Keep us from saying anything Can't separate from everything Yet all this really means it You're one in a crowd and you're paranoid of every sound You're not a friend Oh,